Sorry, I was flirting with my wife before I came up here. Just makes it really easy for me. Uh, amen. Praise God. Sounds like home. Sounds like home. Uh, really excited to be back with you after a week of being away. And uh, I had somebody ask me if I got some sun. Yes, I did get some sun. Uh, there's lots of sun on the streets of Skid Row shining down upon you in the different places that we were at. And uh, why don't you just stand, if you're part of the staff and you went on the mission trip last week, why don't you just stand? Why don't you give a round of applause for these guys that went and brave. And, and, and I should preface it that uh, it was staff and any of the staff's spouses that wanted to go. And uh, we had uh, uh, spouses that uh, made the commitment to, uh, to raise funds and pay and all that kind of stuff. And it was uh, awesome to be able to uh, have spouses come and be a part of that experience. And, and I can say that uh, we have come back better. Uh, and that's to your benefit. If we came back worse, it'd be a problem. Uh, so I'm really, I'm really appreciative for allowing us even to, uh, you know, put a, a stop to the midweek service last week. Um, lots of, lots of things that we're still processing, and a lot of memories made, a lot of awesome experiences had and, and shared. And uh, we're excited to see how uh, what we've taken away from our time working with uh, the Dream Center. Uh, Pastor Matthew Barnett's ministry, uh, how that's going to impact and shape us and the things that I know God wants us to do and integrate as we endeavor to be not just a church in a city, but for a city. Can I get an amen? amen? Good, good. It's good to be home. So love you guys. Good to be away. Glad to be back. The only thing I wish that we could have brought back was the weather. Uh, I will tell you that the weather in Los Angeles is much better than the weather here. So uh, you, people, the people in Durant, hard to beat. Uh, but the weather, easy to beat, easy to beat. You can, you can, uh, you can go. And I remember we, uh, you know, we landed uh, back in Dallas on Saturday night. And we're used to this, you know, breeze coming off of, uh, of the water because Los Angeles is fairly close to the ocean. And you got a breeze that comes up from Santa Monica. And you can go, you know, at night and just be outside. And it's like, you know, 60 degrees with the breeze going. And, uh, you know, 9 o'clock at night. So we land like 9 o'clock at night in Dallas. And it's 98 degrees. <laughs> And uh, we step off, and there was immediate culture shock and uh, people falling down on the ground and wailing. No, we came back, and uh, I said, that's what you love about Texas and southern Oklahoma is that, you know, the nightly breeze, you don't know if it's a breeze or the exhaust from a Mack truck, but uh, it feels all the same. So thank you for letting us go. Uh, we've come back refreshed, recharged, ready to lead the charge in a new way and what it means to see an entire city uh, won for Christ. Anybody still about that mission want to see a city come to Christ? Good, good. Jesus did the, you know, got the message across the whole world with 12, and uh, I had at least 30 that responded, so we should be great. We should be able to do everything we need to do in Duran, Oklahoma. So I want to pray, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to get into it. If I had to title tonight something, I would title tonight simply Jesus. Simply Jesus, and uh, we'll see how, how long this one is <laughs> in Jesus' name. Father, thank you so much for your grace and for your truth, and that your grace and truth are not concepts, they're not philosophies, 
your grace and truth has manifested in a person whose name is Jesus Christ. And those of us that have called upon that name have experienced that grace and that truth. I pray, Lord, that we would continue to be attentive to your Holy Spirit, this beautiful friend and partner that you've sent to us to indwell us and to rest upon us. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. You would open our eyes, open our ears to hear what the Father is saying and that the result would be your kingdom come and your will being done in our lives, in our world, as it is in heaven. And all of God's children tonight said, Amen. Amen. I want to read to you out of the uh, Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 19. And uh, this is verses uh, 16 through 26. Matthew 19. And I'll read out of the English Standard Version. And uh, I'm going to stand over here. It'll sound a little weird coming off the podium. Let me stand stand here. Um, So, and behold. Everybody say, behold. Behold. A man came up to him. Everybody say, him means Jesus. You're supposed to say that part too. Let's try it one more time. Ready? I know I've been gone, but let's get back in the groove of things, okay? Please don't slow the sermon down by your lack of response. All right. We can't afford that. Trust me. Not when I'm talking. All right. So everybody say, him means Jesus. Very good. Very good. I'll put that on me. I wasn't clear with you. I'm sorry. And this is what the man said that came up to Jesus. He said, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he, and he said to him, why do you, and him, everybody say him, yeah. means Jesus. And Jesus says to the man, why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who's good. And if you would enter, enter life, keep the commandments. The man says to him, which ones? And Jesus said, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, I've kept all these. I love that answer. I've kept all these. What do I still lack? And Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, if you want to be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. And when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. How do you feel about that passage? It's a good passage. Uh, I have found that, uh, you know, people that are poor really like that passage. (laughs) I have found people that are rich might not know how to interpret that passage. And... I've heard this taught a lot of different ways and I've heard a lot of different takes on it. But I told you tonight if I was to call this little talk that I'm going to give you anything, I'd call it simply Jesus. And I think it's important. 
there's no way that Austin knew what I was going to preach on tonight because I didn't even know what I was going to preach on tonight uh, until just a few minutes before the service. And uh, I love the prophetic word that came about giving God access to our hearts. And I think it's really important for us to note and understand that, especially in the reading of Scripture, it's very easy for us to read a select group of verses and to look, through, look at that verse through a telescope instead of understanding that the Bible is not a uh, science book or a math book in which we just pull random lessons and verses out and we work a formula to try to solve the problem. The Bible is a story. The Bible is a narrative. The Bible is, uh, is, is a lot of things, but many times in our Christian communities and Christian circles, we try to relate to the scripture in an improper way, and because of that, we get an improper understanding. When we relate to the scripture in improper ways, we get an improper understanding. One of the first things you need to know about the scripture is that the scripture is never meant to be engaged with without the Holy Spirit. The book and the job of the book is made to put you in touch with the author. And the Bible does one thing, I believe, inerrantly, infallibly, and with complete authority, and that is that it points us to the person of Jesus Christ. The Bible reveals to us who Jesus is, and the Bible helps us grow in an understanding of who Jesus is. Jesus is what God has to say. Jesus is the fullness of God made flesh. He's the image of the invisible God. And the Bible is this story describing to us how in many times and in many ways God spoke to his people through prophets, through law, through ritual, through rites. But in these last days, quoting the book of Hebrews, he has chosen to speak to us once and for all, and that is through his son. Can I get an amen? Amen. That's awesome. The Bible's meant to put us in touch with the author. And it's important to understand that, but it's also important to understand that the Bible is a narrative. It's a true narrative. It's a story, but it's a true story. And the true story of the scripture is revealing to us a true person. The events in the Bible are factual because it's a true story. None of it's fairy tale or make-believe. But in the process of understanding a story, it's important that we read it for the whole of what it is, not just an isolated group of verses. There's a lot of Christians. (laughs) I won't say what I'm thinking, but there's a lot of brothers and sisters that in the name of the Bible says have become very mean-spirited and legalistic and have imposed their interpretation of the Scripture through an isolated context of verses, now is rule and regulation to impose on other people. And I think it's really easy at face value to read this passage of scripture and come away with a couple takeaways. One, God doesn't want you to be rich. And two, if you're rich, you're in danger of going to hell faster than the rest of us. And I think if you isolate those groups of verses, you can definitely draw those opinions. There are denominational groups and brothers and sisters that have those mindsets and those customs and those practices. Anybody ever come out of religious communities that believe things similar to what I just said? Yeah, and they could give you scripture to validate and back it up. And there's a lot of talk also through people that are... uh, you know, uh, warring with scripture or struggling through the word of God about contradiction. And I've never been somebody that's got too hung up on anything uh, in the Bible that appears to contradict itself because what I understand is that what we call contradiction in the scripture is not contradiction at all. It's called tension. 
and our life is full of it. And the people and the characters in the Bible were people in real life. So there's tension in the way that they live. There's tension in the things that they said. And the reason that I believe that the Bible is not just an end all to itself is because the areas that appear contradictory, in my terminology, the areas that make us feel tense or that cause tension, when we learn how to relate to tension properly and understand that tension is actually a catalyst of movement and a facilitator of unity, I understand that the tension that I see in the scripture sometimes is actually the very thing that's moving me toward seeking out the answer from the author himself. When there's things that I can't rectify in regards to this passage says this or this passage says this, there's many disillusioned Christians and mainstream uh, people in the body of Christ, uh, prolific figures in the body of Christ uh, that that have wrestled with these things. And even recently, there's been several key, uh, key figures in the church world that have come out publicly and boldly on social media and that are renouncing the faith. Many of you might have read some of those articles and seen some of those things. One in particular, very well-known uh, Christian songwriter, one of the things that he said is making him lose his faith is the fact that the Bible's full of contradiction. And I think that we need to be in prayer for our brothers and sisters. We don't, we don't need to cast stones. We don't need to embark in, in questioning everything that they've ever written or their salvation and all these kinds of things we need to pray. But I do want to speak to a question in regards to the contradiction of Scripture. And here's the thing. If you have trouble with supposed contradiction in Scripture, you're going to have trouble just with being alive as a human being. Because life is full of contradictory things. Life is full of tension. And I'm of the personal opinion that the Bible never contradicts itself unless you understand that the Bible is a progressive revelation of a person who is Jesus Christ. And if you read some of the things in Leviticus and then read some of the things in the Gospel of John without understanding that the book is doing one thing infallibly and accurately and with full authority and that's point people to Jesus, you are going to wrestle with the fact of why you see God presented one way in the Old Testament and another way in the New Testament. But when I learn to engage with the scripture as not this isolated fact book filled with all these verses that immediately apply to every area of my life or us charismatics, what we like to do is make it our Christian spell book and take certain incantations. And if we say certain scriptures the right way, the cosmos will shift, my Cadillac will show up, the IRS back check, you know, back tax will come back to me, all those kinds of things. But when we learn to engage with the scripture as growing us in our revelation of Jesus and we learn how to ask Jesus face to face for our daily bread as we learn to engage with Jesus our Lord our provider our Savior our friend for the necessities of life as we learn to engage in a real relationship with Jesus the Bible takes on a new form a new function and I can tell you this it becomes fully alive to you as a believer, but not apart from connection with the author. So anything in the scripture that makes you feel tense is ultimately only there so that you'll lean into the person of Jesus more. Not just try to, in your own understanding, figure, figuring out just the letter and form your own doctrine and your own opinion and get mad and quit and start a church down the street because what every city in America needs is another church, right? Okay, sorry, that was a little bit sarcastic. I'm gonna back up. Um, Because I could tell you, I beseech you, brothers and sisters, 
that we might not need another denomination or another church to pop up in our community. We might just need Christians that are connected to the real Jesus and that are moving in relationship with the real Jesus. That was a lot better than my sarcasm. I got to do that more often. So here's the thing. We have a difficult set of verses here. Difficult to wrestle with. What's Jesus trying to say? And it's important to let Scripture interpret Scripture. It's a good way to practice study of the Bible. Not to just take an isolated group of verses now and set this opinion that God hates wealthy people. If he hates wealthy people, then he must have had a really tough time with his friend Abraham, who was one of the wealthiest men that ever lived. If God hates wealthy people, then why in the world was one of his best friends Abraham who he talked with face to face? Contradiction. No. Tension. To move you out of your limited understanding, to move you out of what our beloved pastor would say, your peanut brain, and choose to embrace the mind of Christ that's on the inside of you and say, hey, there's something more going on here that he's talking about. And I don't want to miss it in my shallowness and in my uh, opinions of my upbringing. I tell you that this passage comes alive whenever you read it in context of the rest of the book. There's a passage in scripture that you'll know that goes like this. Where your treasure is, your heart will be also. And how many of you know that what God's after is not your treasure, but your heart? But if your heart is consumed with your treasure, it can never have access. Jesus can never have access to it. The rich young ruler is relating to Jesus in such a way that Jesus is trying to call attention into what's really possessing him, what really has his heart. The rich young ruler says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to be saved? (laughs) First of all, he's asking a very good question. And if we go and we look at scriptural accounts by where it's at in Matthew 19, he may only be asking it about a week early. Because Jesus, I believe, is purposefully delivering something that's impossible to show this young man by revelation that there's nothing you're going to be able to do to save yourself. It's why he says, if you really want to be perfect, and he puts it back on him, he says, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, well, I'll give you the short answer Just keep all the commandments. Keep all the law. And the rich young ruler in his religious pride says, well, I've done all that. What else do I do? And Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect, then you're going to have to let me have access to your heart. If you want to be perfect, you're going to have to give me the real estate, the zip code of your heart. I'm going to have to be able to have access to that and endure that. But because you're approaching me based upon what works can do, because you're approaching me based upon what rule keeping can do, I will answer your question. Because I don't have access to your heart, the only way for you to be perfect is to do the thing that I know you can't do and is sell all your stuff, give it to the poor. And what does he say? Come follow me. And the disciples are even a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, concerned about this. And they say, if this is true, God, that the only way to be perfect is to engage in this type of sacrificial act, to let go of everything and to follow you, then, and if you say it's so hard for a rich person to be saved, then who is able to be saved? And I love Jesus' prophetic foreshadowing. With man, left up to you and I, left up to our own rule-keeping, left up to our own level of benevolent giving, 
left up to our own ability to keep the commandments. It's impossible. But Jesus says, with God, all things are possible. What I want to make a case for tonight is that what you need for your life to be utterly transformed is simply Jesus. What the people in your workplace need for their lives to be utterly transformed is simply Jesus. What your family member that's gone astray needs more than anything else is simply Jesus. And in this passage of scripture, we see that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. It's proven to us. And it's also proven to us in this chapter that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. And before we can go about the process of leading other people to the real Jesus, we have to ask ourselves a question. And it's a question that Pastor, Office, uh, that Pastor Austin prophesied over us, or that asked us, I would say, in a prophetic way, meaning just tapping into God's heart and speaking what he heard God say. That's what prophecy is, saying what you hear God say in this transition time, in this worship time. And I think it's important for us to, in the way of the rich young ruler, take some inventory in our own hearts and lives tonight. It's important for us to slow down and to ask ourselves one question first. There's a couple we're gonna ask, but the first one is this. How are you right now, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, assessing whether or not you're in right standing relationship with God? Because if I was really to push you, good Christian people so often allow their ability to keep the rules or their ability to go a whole day without yelling at their kids or without smoking a cigarette or without cussing in traffic to be the thing that allows them to say whether or not they're in right standing relationship with the Lord that day. Beloved, I'd like to tell you that if you're still relating to the Lord on that basis, you're in religion and you need to be saved by grace. If you're basing your ability to be saved, to have eternal life, on whether or not you can be perfect, I can just cut to the chase tonight and tell you, you might as well quit trying <laughs> because you couldn't be. That's why Jesus said, with man, this is impossible. With God, this is totally possible because he knew that he was sent to be an atoning sacrifice for the sins of all. He knew that there was not anybody that was perfectly keeping the law, even those in their religious superiority like the rich young ruler that said that they would because he knew that what humanity needed was a new heart. And the only way to get a new heart is to get a new life. The only way to get a new heart is to be born again. The only way to engage in a right standing relationship with the Lord is not to present your works of how much law keeping that you've done or how much of the tithes and offerings you have contributed to, but it's coming back into a place of saying that my eternal life, my salvation is rooted in this, simply Jesus. Receiving his work, giving him access to my heart and to my life. The first question you have to ask yourself especially those of you that know the Lord and are walking with the Lord, is if you are stunting your spiritual growth day in and day out because you think that it was by grace that you were saved, but now it's up to your works to keep you there. God really must be happy with me this week because I didn't have a falling out with my spouse. 
God must really be smiling on me. I feel the pleasure of the Lord today because I haven't, I haven't uh, uh, been short with a coworker. Or I really feel the pleasure of the Lord today because I went out of my way to do such and such for such and such person. God really must be happy with me because I bought that guy's lunch today. Or God really must be happy with me because I made a decision to in secret do such and such and this and this. And what I'd like to propose to you tonight, and it's something that we need to allow to sink down in our hearts in a much deeper way, is that the Lord smiles upon your life not because of what you've put into it, but because of what Jesus has put into you. Now, with that being said, (laughs) just when I preach the good news, it gets even better. Just with that being said, it's important for us first and foremost to realize that this simply Jesus means that Jesus has to have access to our hearts. That it's not rule keeping or performance that's going to get us saved. It's actually inviting Jesus in. That's really what this story of the rich young ruler is about. But I want to tell you this. That in calling Jesus Lord and inviting him in definitely makes you right with God. But here's the thing that I want to encourage you with. Is you're not just saved from something. How many of you are eternally grateful that because of the work of Jesus, not because of your own personal work, you have been saved from a devil's hell? Okay. This whole thing that's emerging in in a lot of the mainstream churches right now about there being no hell. If there is no hell, then God is the cruelest father that ever lived to send his son to die the death that he died on a cross to save you from nothing. Make no mistake, beloved, you were saved from something, and that's a devil's hell. You were saved from a place of eternal damnation and torment. I love what C.S. Lewis says. He says, it's not so much a matter of God sending anybody to hell as much as it's a matter of there's something growing on the inside of all of us that will eventually become hell unless it's nipped in the bud. Something growing on the inside of us that will eventually become hell is sin and the wages of sin, which is death. And the only way to lose a sin nature is to get a new nature. And that only comes whenever you make a decision to believe in the atoning work of the cross for your life. How many of you believe that whenever Jesus died on the cross, he saved everybody? But how many of you know and believe that not everybody believes that? (laughs) Jesus, the good news of the cross is that Jesus has already taken care of everybody's sin. It's our job, if we're going to mix faith with that, call him Lord and engage in that new birth and that new style of life. It's important for us to realize and to know that. But you're not just saved from something. I want to encourage you tonight that as believers, you're actually saved for something. You weren't just saved from a devil's hell. You were actually saved for something. And what you've been saved for is to now live a particular kind of life. It's not the kind of life that's going to ensure that all your wrongs are righted and all these kinds of things. And you talk to people that say, well, hopefully whenever I stand before God, my good outweighs my bad and it's going to be my good that's going to get me into heaven. Thank God that we have great teaching in this house that I've just reviewed in my first 15 minutes that has reinstated the fact that it's not your works that save you. Are you following me? But to say that the salvation of Jesus in your life is just from something is to fail to grasp the concept 
that what you've been saved from now instinctively by nature has equipped you to live a particular kind of life. We get so bogged down with this like recipe between faith and works. And is it works or is it faith? Is it faith or is it works? And I would just like to set the record straight tonight very clearly, hopefully very concisely, hopefully with something that will bring peace to you as a believer, is that you are saved by faith. Scripture tells us that. But this is what I want to tell you, that if you have the faith of Jesus Christ on the inside of you, and the only way you can get that is through being born again, then if you sincerely have the faith, listen to me, you can't help but do the works. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments. He didn't say it the way I heard it as a young Christian, which was, if you really love me, you'll obey my commandments. You'll prove it to me that you really love me. That's not what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Which is the same thing as me saying, if I love my wife, I'll flirt with her before I come up on stage. I'm not going to sit there and say, man, I really have to flirt with my wife and tell I love her and give her a little winky face before I get up on stage. It naturally flows out of me because I love her. Okay. Whenever we talk about being saved by Jesus and his life being on the inside of us, wouldn't it just make sense that if being saved means that Jesus has taken up residency on the inside of you, that you've invited him into your heart and into your life, if you have allowed your life to be possessed by Jesus, that he has ownership of it, that he's the Lord of it, wouldn't it make sense that you would just naturally lean toward good works? Wouldn't it make sense that you'd have a new nature and a new default, a new center to what's going on with you as a person? It would just make sense that you would want to lean that way. It doesn't mean that you get it right all the time. It doesn't mean that that's your craving desire of every minute and every hour. Let's be honest tonight. There's sometimes when good works is the last thing that we want to do. But the beautiful thing about engaging in this relationship with the Lord is that whenever we engage in something less than good works, we feel it, don't we? And it's not the sting of condemnation to say, now my relationship with God is not on par. Now my relationship with God is not everything it could be because I have this unfruitful work in my life. It's the sting of the remembrance that you're not living true to your nature. You're not living true to your design. And the only way to get rid of that sting is to submit to the trueness of who you are now as a new believer and to engage in the good work that God's given you to do. The main wrestling match for the believer is not so much between them and the devil. It's between them and their divided self half the time. It's between them and their own double-mindedness. It's between them and their own religious preoccupations with how much good have I done, how much bad have I done, when we have to come back to a simple understanding of the simplicity of Jesus. Any man that's in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. All has become new. If you've made a decision to follow Jesus tonight, I'm looking at a new kind of person a new kind of humanity. And I don't, it doesn't matter to me if on your worst day of temptation, you feel like sin is still your mother tongue. I'm here to tell you that you don't walk by feelings. 
You don't walk by sight. You walk by faith. And the faith statement is, even though temptation lurks at the door today, that's not my nature. Not to be disqualified and condemned because you're being tempted. Can I just cut to the chase and tell you that if you're looking to be free from temptation, you're going to need to be dead. Like actually dead, not just spiritually dead. A lot of times we set up these promises for people that are so cheap and so empty and we just kind of string words together in a moment. I believe that it's totally possible and it's God's will for you to be free from torment. How many of you believe that? But I can tell you this, as long as you are breathing oxygen, you're going to experience temptation. It's part of it. Freedom for you as a believer is not about being free from being tempted. It is about being free from being controlled by temptation. And that's what the Lord is after. The new kind of life that he's leading you and the simplicity of walking with Jesus means that I get to be above and not beneath. And it's important. You can say, well, Pastor Zach, this is a really elementary, basic message tonight. And I would say 110% correct, it is. But I can tell you that if I struggle on days with whether or not I'm in right standing with God, because of this attitude or because of this emotion or feeling disqualified for the work that I'm called to because I got my temper get the better of me or I said something harsh in a way that I didn't mean, then I can guarantee you that there's people in the room tonight. I'm just vulnerable and honest enough to tell you that there's days that I feel that and have to remind myself that my level of rightness is not based upon my performance, but on his promises. And if I, as the pastor around here, need to remind myself of that, I gotta be kidding myself to say there's not people here tonight that need to be reminded of that. The simplicity of Jesus is something that you have to embrace. The, com- the, the complication of the rich young ruler what do I have to do? I'm checking in with God to make sure that my eternal life agreement is still valid. Is the ink still dry on the contract that I signed with you, God? Is a life of experiencing torment that I don't think God wills for any of his children. The blessedness of the saved life, of the whole life, of the redeemed life, is being able to rest in the one who saves, which is not you, which is Jesus And we have to give Holy Spirit access to our hearts in such a way to say, Lord, is there anything that's driving a wedge between my ability to simply connect with you? Is my own behavior on some days driving a wedge between my ability to connect with you? I've been guilty of this at so many times and seasons in my life, and maybe you can relate to me on this point, but there's been so often, especially if I'm experiencing a negative emotion, whatever it might be, hopelessness, depression, anger, resentment, offense. You, you know that I experience those things too. I don't have some kind of immunity that you don't have. I'm just better at dealing with it than you are. But I have figured out, no, that was supposed to be a joke and you didn't laugh. Maybe you really believe that. Praise God, you can pray that over me. Yeah, you're right. I am better at it than you. That's right, I am. That's why I'm up here talking, right? No, not the way this thing works. But when I've experienced those things, and you, you might do this in some area of your life. Look, let me just tell you this, guys. I have really been delivered from the desire to be profound. I don't want to be profound. I don't want to wow anybody. My desire as a communicator is to be helpful. That's it, plain and simple. 
the Lord told me point blank, Zach, you're going to have to get over your desire to be profound and you're just going to have to start seeking to be helpful because if you will desire to be helpful every time that you talk, you will always be, you will always have a profound impact on the people around you. My desire is simply to be helpful tonight. My desire is simply to be encouraging tonight. My, my desire life is to simply reveal the beauty of Jesus. When I've struggled with negative emotions, it's been easy for me to say, I've got to get this cleaned up so that I can go to God. Isn't that funny how you do that? Not even meaning to. Well, I can't connect to the Lord in this area because I'm dealing with this depression or I'm dealing with this anxiety. And if this anxiety would get out of my life, I could be able to connect with God better. If this depression would get out of my life, then I would really be able to connect to God. And I want to tell you that the same way that we have given Jesus access to our hearts whenever we make a decision to believe, you can't get much closer to somebody's life than their heart. Can I get a witness? So if you've already given access to Jesus to your heart, then he by default already has access to the depression that you're experiencing, to the anxiety that you're experiencing. Your awareness of that and your invitation to allow him into that area of your life and to understand and realize that there's no way that you can deal with that apart from him. So many Christians are trying to keep up appearances and wear these facade masks around the church building about not struggling with anything, making these declarative statements that I know for the most part are faith-based, but let's be real. Even when you say you're blessed and highly favored some days, when I ask you how you're doing, you don't really believe it or mean it. And I'm not saying that you have to spill your guts with me all the time. Please do that with somebody else. But what I want to tell you is, is that you need to at least be spilling your guts in honesty to the Lord. God, I'm depressed in this area. God, I'm broken in this area. Will you help me with this? Most of the times we don't get over things that God wants us to go over because out of shame, because of out of this rich young ruler concept, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We keep from honest, uh, honesty and transparency with the Lord of saying, God, I need you in this area. The only way I can get out of this is if your fingerprints are on it. And we revert back to the fallen state, which is Adam and Eve hiding behind the bush and covering their nakedness. And responding to the same voice that was one of love and concern, Adam, where are you? To Adam and Eve, that voice of love and concern and genuine care was something for fear and for torment because they had made a decision to hide themselves underneath this blanket of shame. I'm here to tell you tonight that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ I don't care what you're dealing with. I don't care what area of your life is rocky or is turbulent. I'm encouraging you tonight in the simplicity of who Jesus is to invite him in and say, God, I need your touch here. I might be able to hide it from everybody else. I might be able to sweep it under the rug at work. I might be able to hide it from my spouse. I might be able to put on a smile for my kids, for my parents, for my teachers, for my employer, whoever it might be. But God, I need you in this area of your life. I don't want to hear God's voice call out to me in the garden of my heart. Zach, where are you? Shame was dealt with on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Adam hid in a garden naked and very much afraid. Jesus Christ, the last Adam, is his title given to him by the Apostle Paul. Hands on a cross, naked and unashamed, so that you and I can now live in right standing with God. 
I would like to tell you tonight, what must you do to inherit eternal life? You have to simply connect with Jesus. You have to simply allow your life, every area of your life, to have the fingerprints of Jesus. Not falling back on what you've done right by the law or what you still have yet to do. Not falling back on, well, I know God will really bless me whenever I do X, Y, and Z. But moving into a place right now to believe that you are deeply and passionately loved by God. Jesus loved you, the Bible says, whenever you were in your sins and your trespasses. This is love, the Apostle John says. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and that he gave himself up for us. Jesus died for you and loved you whenever you hated him. How much more now are you able to believe his love for you now that you've received him? If God hates his enemies, or sorry, if God loves his enemies, then how much love must he have for his children? If God is patient and he's not slow concerning his promises as human beings count slowness, but he's patient And his will is that everyone should come to repentance, that nobody should have to perish. That's what the Bible says. If God is just and he causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust, if God causes the sun to shine on the sinner and the saint, if God's prepared the beautiful things of creation, how many of you enjoy the life that God has created in this planet? Isn't it remarkable? Isn't it beautiful, the things that God's created for us to enjoy? If God's given that as a free gift to people that have rejected him, how much more patient and kind and good and generous is he toward those that have called upon his name? I'm here to tell you tonight that you need to let go of the feeling that you're not adding up. You need to let go of the feeling that God will only love me whenever this work gets done. And you need to rest in the fact that number one, you are deeply and passionately loved by a good father. Number two, he's given you the capacity to live above the power of sin, fear, and shame, not through your willpower, but through the power of his Holy Spirit on the inside of you. And that the days when the trials and hazards and pains of life are crushing down around you, what you need simply is not a drink of something stronger than Coke. (laughs) What you need simply is not a drag from that cigarette. What you need simply is not alone time. Can I be honest with you? You don't need time with you. You're the problem. You need time with him. What you need is not a change of scenery. Oh, if I just move jobs or if I just uh, sell my house or if I just buy that car or if I just move to the ocean. I'm an ocean person, so I think if I'm closer to the ocean, I will be happy. As long as you're moving there, your problem will follow you because it's usually connected to you. I need to be in the mountains because I'm a mountain person and if I'm just in the mountains, I'll be happier. No, it'll still be the same you in the mountains. You'll have beautiful weather, but you'll still be miserable on the inside. I don't know if you figured this out or not. Happiness is an inside job. Not everybody outside your life's responsibility. Until you love you, until you're happy with you, man, you're gonna be a basket case for everybody else. We love you, but you're a basket case. At least you're our basket case, amen? Oh, you didn't like that? Okay, uh, what's a better one besides basket case? Um, you're crazy. No, we won't use that one. The third thing 
is simple. What you simply need when the trials and pressures and hazards and hang-ups of life are pressing down around you is simply Jesus. His patience, His kindness, His goodness. The Lord's fully aware of your personality flaws. He's fully aware of your weaknesses and your hang-ups. The question is, are you fully convinced of his love and acceptance of you? God's fully aware of where you fall short. The question tonight is, are you fully aware of how his blood has covered your shortcoming? The Lord is fully aware of your inability to be still, to rest, to cease from striving. The question is, are you fully aware of his ability to rock you to sleep? The Lord's fully aware of your propensity to worry, to be anxious, to be fearful. The question is, have you allowed yourself to become fully aware of what he has planned for you? No eye has seen No ear has heard. No mind can comprehend what God has prepared for those that love him. God's fully aware of what's wrong with you. I would just like to propose tonight that you need to simply remind yourself of what's absolutely right about him. I love what Eugene Peterson says in closing in regards to discipleship. How many of you want to be a disciple of Jesus? Good, all right. You don't know what that means just yet, but we'll talk about that some more soon. But you want to be a disciple of Jesus. Good, good. Then I want to tell you what being a disciple or a follower of Jesus is. My opinion has been informed by the words of Eugene Peterson, a man that translated the message translation of the Bible. He says discipleship is simply this. Two things. One, paying less and less attention to my righteousness and more and more attention to his. And then two, second thing, simply sticking with Jesus. Can I encourage you with something today as we have Christian leaders in recent news that are losing the faith, that are falling away? Let me encourage you with something. When you don't understand what the Bible says, stick with Jesus. When your loved one gets a diagnosis that you don't understand, stick with Jesus. When your bank account's a negative number, but you've been faithfully tithing every single week, stick with Jesus. When your marriage is falling apart and you don't know what else to do, stick with Jesus. When your kids are going off the cliff and are putting far away from their minds all the godly instruction that you've raised them with, can I encourage you with something? Stick with Jesus. And what you'll find is that you're following him. And the beautiful thing about people that follow Jesus is that goodness and mercy follow them all the days of their life and they dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Can I encourage you with something tonight, family? Open up your hands like you're gonna receive a present. In this moment right now, as brothers and sisters, allow yourself to simply connect with Jesus. Jesus, you know us. You love us. How or why, I don't know. But what I do know is that you're for us. And if you're for us, that means that you're with us. And if you're with us, that means you're working on us. We're aware of the areas where we fall short. We're aware of the areas where we're getting it wrong. 
And all we say, God, is have your perfect work in us. Grow us into the people that you know us to be. Help us not to assess our right standing with you based upon works, but let us firmly stand in our right standing with you based upon the faith that we have that we need a Savior. We didn't need a Savior once when we prayed that prayer 15 years ago or five days ago. We need a Savior today. We need a Savior every day. Open our eyes to understand and know that this relationship you've called us to with you is not a one-night stand. It's a marriage. And good marriages say yes to each other every single day. Good marriages renew their vows not once every 15 years or once in 50 years, but every day. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we are fully persuaded of your amazing love. Tonight we say... We simply need Jesus. Amen.